Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are wrapping up our season preview for the divisions. Uh, we are doing the Central Division today, which is uh, an old title, but a lot of new teams in it that is featured. So, um, as always, we will go through and start from the bottom, give our teams that we think are going to be lottery teams, missing the playoffs, um, give teams that we usually would say are uh, competing for wild card, but in this year it's kind of the 3-4 area, you know, just right around the playoff hunt probably, and then teams we think have a legitimate shot at the division title. So um, it worked out pretty well actually this week that there's a lot of news with this division, three signings or four signings, I think. Oh, actually, Nashville's not in it, but... Oh, yes, they are. Sorry. Um, yeah, so four signings and uh, just a lot of rumors to talk about. But uh, we'll start at the bottom. Uh, pretty easy two bottom teams here, I think. Uh, I have two that are very solidly going to be lottery teams, I think. And uh, we'll start with the bottom. Uh, I have Detroit at eight. Yeah, Detroit's pretty clearly the worst team in the division. Yeah, I mean, I, I like what they did in the offseason. Uh, they just added some actual NHL players. I, I will say they have the potential to not be worse in this division. Honestly, like I, I run, I'm really low on the Chicago team and we'll get to them in a second, but like, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a shoe in that Detroit is going to be last in this division. Like uh, some people might say they're not going to, I, I don't see an Avenue where they compete for playoffs at all. They're one of the very few teams where it's like, like even with Ottawa, it's like, yeah, I could see Ottawa being a bottom three team. I could also see an Avenue where like, Matt Murray bounces back and a couple of the rookies break out and they're not in a great division anyway. So maybe they contend for playoffs with this team. It's like you need Dylan Larkin to be better than he already is. And you need like Zadina to completely break out and Thomas Grice and, or Jonathan Bernier to play amazingly in that, which like, I just don't think you should bank on. No, that's a pretty terrible bet. I guess you do kind of have to jack up the like expected variance in the 56 game season, but yeah, they just need so much to go right that it's it's just not going to happen. No, and I don't think they want it to happen. They want another high pick. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, I think this will be a team that they've set themselves up well. So this deadline, they should be able to sell. You know, like um, UFAs they have this year: Darren Helm, Phil Pula, uh, Glenn Denning, uh, Bobby Ryan. Uh, Namaskinov's got another year yet, uh, Sam Gagne, but like, um, and then on the back end, Mark Stahl, maybe if you eat half his salary, a team might be willing to take him on as like a, a seventh defenseman. I don't know. There's a couple guys where it's like, they don't have any huge ticket. Probably. I don't think they're going to get a first for any of these guys, unless they decide to flip someone like Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, but there's a lot of guys where I can see them, you know, stocking up on third, fourth round picks, um, for some of these guys. And, you know, even Jonathan Bernier, I think would be buying goalie insurance as a third goalie if you need someone at the deadline, right? So um, they put themselves in a good spot to not be good this year. That being said, they they got more talent this offseason. I don't think that's – like, that's kind of undeniable, right? Like, yeah, they added uh, Bobby Ryan, um, Sam Gagne, uh, even guys like Troy Stetcher are going to help this lineup just not be quite as terrible. And, you know, they got an asset for bringing in someone like Mark Stahl, who is not really an NHL player, but I'll take him on my team for a second this year. Yeah, it's exactly like they they did the smart things you need to do when you're a bad team, even though it's not going to translate to wins in the standings this year. No, and the the most interesting thing will be um, seeing how much some of their young guys play. You know, um, in the minors they got Valeno, uh, they got Mortis Sider, 
Um, Jared McIsaac. Uh, we got a couple other guys too. Who's the young guy in the blue line? I'm blanking on his name. Um, Ronick should get some time. Uh, so you know they they, they have uh, they have some guys. It's just it, it's not. It, I I just it, they're not going to be a good team. But I, I think they they are quite okay with that. You know, like um, I, I there's no plan on them being a good team this year. Yeah, and it sucks for Dylan Larkin and Mantha, but yeah, it's the best thing for the franchise. It's not really controversial that they're going to suck. It's the whole point. It just kind of is what it is. Yeah, exactly. And you know they. Uh, continue to kind of build the, the prospect pipeline up. They, I wouldn't say they're amazing, but they have some good solid prospects, you know, Lucas Raymond, uh, their pick from their first rounder from this past draft. He looks amazing. Um, it'll be really interesting. I'm really curious to see what Zadina can do. Um, I really hope, you know, by the end of last year, he was looking a lot better and I really hope he can keep that going. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Like um, it's a pretty huge piece for them because he's a very high pick and they don't, Look, they don't have a bad prospect pool or anything, but he's definitely one of their key, like, blue chip guys, and it would be nice to see him show signs of, like, a legitimate breakthrough for them. Yeah, if he doesn't work out, your output on this team is a lot bleaker in a year or two than if he is a legitimate top-line player, you know? like. Yeah, it's like the value of knowing whether you can pencil him into your future top six or not is, like, humongous because that's a huge hole filled for them if yeah. he is. Exactly. And I mean, they have a lot of holes going forward. Like, I don't know who their future goaltender is going to be. Um, uh, you know, they, they have a couple prospects on the blue line, but they're going to need some help there as well. And just up front too. So yeah, still a little ways to go, but um, let's get in the other team that's at the bottom here. I'm assuming you probably also had Chicago at seven. Yep. The next yeah. person. Um, I could honestly, just with how bad the goaltending is, I could really like, this is a team that like, I, I just, and T- Taves has some illness out, you know, let's hope he can return soon enough. But if he misses a good chunk of this uh, season, like, and it doesn't seem like they want to really, uh, they don't really seem to want to play the young guys a ton. So like, like this could be Kirby docs, obviously out for five months. Like this could be an ugly season for Chicago. Yeah. I kind of forgot Taves and doc are out. That was like the potential to be two of their, they have like, four potential bright spots and two of them are gone. That's yeah. gonna, it's going to be ugly. Like it's uh, like it would not shock me if this team finished dead last. I'm not even going to lie. Like the, in that they have Colin uh, Delia uh, and Malcolm Subban, neither of which have shown a ton at the NHL level. Like, I don't know if the plan is to get Adam Boquist minutes because they brought in guys like Nikita Zadorov and Duncan Keith is starting on their first pair and, Calvin DeHaan's probably going to be playing their second pair. So it's like, how much, like, what are you giving these guys? Um, you know, Kirby Doc's injured up front, but um, I don't like, I, I just don't know if they're, they really don't have many more young guys to really give ice time to, you know? No, they really don't. Like, it's not like they have, um, well, like with like the Senators or whatever, a different bad team where it's like, if Chalapic stays down or say Chalapic got hurt, they're like other young guys where you should be giving them shots. Kirby Doc's like the the big blue chip and then that's basically it for them. Yeah, especially up front anyways. You know, Boquist on the back end looks very, very good, but um, you know, uh, there's only so much you can do with him, I guess, right now this year too, right? So um, uh, it's like this is uh, this has the potential to go so backwards so quickly, I think, for this team. Like this, it really would not shock me if they were like 
obviously no, I don't think anyone's going to be the Detroit Red Wings of last year, but just like a team where it's like, we didn't think they were going to be good, but they were so much worse than we would have expected. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Like it's and with Tazo too, like it, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And, and the worst part is like, you know, um, it's just, I, I feel like we're, they, they ruined their draft position last year too, because they, they won a couple games against Edmonton and, you know, pick 17th overall instead of like seventh overall where they probably should have been picking. And, you know, people go, Oh, well, you know, it's the same similar roster. It's like, well, they got rid of Corey Crawford, who is a massive reason they moved on last year. They also got rid of Brandon sod for Nikita Zadorov. That's a huge downgrade. And in the center of their ice, like the center ice position is Dylan Strom daily faceoff is some guy named Pia Suter and then Lucas Walmark and David camp down the middle right now. That is ugly. Yeah, it's, it's very ugly. Um, and, and speaking of Dylan Strom, they gave him a contract extension, actually, uh, just the other day. He signed for two years, uh, three million AAV. Uh, you know, good, good money for him, considering for a while there, it was looking like, you know, we weren't sure what, what kind of NHL career he'd even have. And I don't know, he's kind of cut himself out into uh, definitely a disappointment for a third overall pick in that stacked, very, very stacked draft. But uh, he's a pretty good player. Yeah, he's he's got a role. He's very he's not exactly a play driving god or whatever, but you can't really hold that against him. Like he's good enough offensively. Like he's a legitimate NHL player in your top nine. And yep. Good for him. I'd say three million is pretty pretty good value. Um, I don't have a ton more to say than that, but you know, like, yeah, just this team this year. Uh, the only real bright spots on it to watch if you're just a neutral fan watching, I think are going to be Strom. The Brinkett, Kane, and maybe see if Kubali can like do do over what he did last year, and then yeah, and on the real hold up front. Yeah, and I mean like he's twenty five though, you know, like I don't know, like is he growing that much more than he did last year? Probably not. He also shot a really high percentage, if I remember correctly. So it might I would even assume go- so. I was gonna say he had thirty goals and sixteen assists. That usually is a uh, good uh point for a high shooting percentage yeah 19.19.1 percent so yeah that's not repeating no but you just kind of hope he can grow his his game in other ways that you know doesn't hurt but honestly yeah like i I really think this team is uh in a lot of trouble uh this year I, i just i don't much like detroit i really don't see an avenue where they're all that good uh unless Taves gets back quickly and Taves, Kane, and Keith all go into peak 2012 form for Chicago. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be one of those things where they're not even going to be bad in, like, a fun way. Like, it's just going to be a whole bunch of, like, washed-up Duncan Keith and Patrick Kane still trying to drag his line mates around and stuff like that. Like, it's just, yeah, there's nothing really to look forward to here. It's just going to be bad. Yeah, and I mean, I know the uh, it's not been official rumors or anything, but there's more and more chatter every year, it feels like, of could the, the Chicago Blackhawks trade uh, Patrick Kane? Um, you know, and Taves, Dave's name's there along too, but I just think league-wide, I think Patrick Kane would have more value. Um, if he is willing to go, I definitely think it's something to look into. And, and I think, you know, he has a massive cap hit, but there would definitely be teams interested, that's for sure. Yeah, assuming he prioritizes winning another cup more than staying with his life in Chicago. I think it would be a huge win-win to trade Patrick Kane. Yeah. And I mean, um, 
I guess uh, you can only retain two salaries at the same time, right? Yeah. So they couldn't actually retain salary this year, but if they traded him next offseason, Brandon Sod's contract would be off the books because they're retaining one mil there and 750K on Mata. But if you traded him next offseason, um, you could retain, say, even 3 million for the next two years. Like it would only be two years after this one. So three or 4 million. And then suddenly you have Patrick Kane at like seven and a half million cap hit, six and a half million cap hit. I bet you that looks very attractive to a bunch of teams. Oh, hundred percent. And you know, damn well, the like NHL GMs value him more than stats, Twitter too, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't, I, I would be okay with the, Patrick Kane at $7 million, I think, but, and like, imagine what they, uh, yeah, like uh, GMs nowadays that just look at the raw point totals and see that what they would think too. Right. So. Yeah. Cause he can still clearly play. It's yeah. Just- and I am curious to see if he got put on a team where he doesn't actually have to do much defensively. If like the results would get at all better because they are atrocious now, like he's below, he's more than three standard deviations below his expected goals against per 60, you know, like he is, he is horrible in his own end. Yeah. I saw a thread about that. I don't know who it was, but talking about how basically like, obviously he is not the play driver he once was, but like, he's not put in a position to succeed at all in Chicago anymore. Like when he's playing with Dylan Strom, who's also not a play driver, like ideally you play a player like Patrick Kane with somebody who can drive play for him. And then he just gets to show off his offensive skills, but that is absolutely not what's going on in Chicago. He has to do literally everything himself. Exactly. So seeing him along, you know, some center or you know, really anyone who could just help him in his own end, I think would be huge. And especially just on a team where, you know, you have some depth scoring and it's not Patrick Kane who has to do everything because I think there's a little bit to both. I think it's fair to say probably that he's just not the play driver that we used to know him as. But um, at the same time, if you accept that and you know that it's going to be fine, you know, like where it's like, don't try and give him too much defensive responsibility. Know that, yes, he's going to give up a lot of five on five, what he does, but he'll make that up on the power play. And if you play him with a good five on five player, you might not even lose as much. So um, it would really be something that I'd be, I'd be curious to see, but I I don't think we're going to see it this year just because, with the flat cap, I, I think it'd be hard for any team to take $10.5 million on in salary. And, you know, maybe next year, if they could retain for one last year, it might be more like it might be possible to see it anyways. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen this year, but it would be cool to see in the future. Yep. Um, so there's Chicago and Detroit, two very bleak, uh, very bleak futures for the next. Well, I mean, Detroit doesn't have a bleak future. It's just a bleak year or two before they, they really get over the hump. Chicago probably has a pretty bleak future. I think um, as much as they don't want to admit it, they're trying to tell themselves this is a retool. This is a rebuild. I really don't see a way you go back at it with Patrick Kane, uh, uh, Jonathan Tate core. Like, I, I don't know. It feels like part of them, it, it feels like they're still convincing themselves that in two years, they'll be good to kind of reload and go again. I just don't think it's going to be the case. Yeah. Cause like when you look at, um, like the San Jose Sharks kind of had some downtime. They dropped Timu Meyer or whatever, but it's like they had that downtime when Joe Thornton was still like crushing it and they were able to retool. Same with the Boston Bruins with Patrice Bergeron, but like Kane and Taze was already seen like aggressive signs of decline. You're not running it back with them in like four years. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, and yes, it's uh, some of those guys have defied the age curve, but their results defying the age curve were still defying it at the time too. Whereas yeah, exactly. Like Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane, they're still relatively good players and, you know, probably overpaid a little bit, but 
uh, we've seen declines and there's not really a reason to assume they're just going to bounce back to peak form in three years from now. So, yeah, if anything, we should just assume it's going to be much, much uglier. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's the only two teams I really had out of the playoff picture completely. Uh, I don't know about you, but. Yeah, those are those are two teams in a tier of their own. They're way worse than the rest of this division. Yep. And then uh, I had four teams kind of battling for the last two playoff spots in this division. Um, I think there's a clear one, two here. Um, And then I think there would be a third team up there if they weren't battling with injuries, but we'll get to them in eventually in a second. Um, So I I ranked them in the second tier. I have four teams and the bottom of those teams, I have Florida, but I, I, I might put Columbus there. I think. Yeah, I kind of put Florida there too, just because they didn't make the playoffs last year and Columbus did, but this is like within error bars of each other. Yeah, exactly. And let's talk about Florida first because there's a lot to talk about with Columbus and and kind of why I hedged a little bit. And, you know, Columbus is a team I didn't really want to count out, but we'll get to them in a second. Let's get to Florida. The, the big thing with them, obviously, is Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, Um it's weird because it feels like every other goaltender they have in their system or playing looks really good. And it's like, well, yeah, but they have Sergei Bobrovsky for six more seasons under contract. So what do you do? And his bounce back is going to determine this entire team, because once again, this isn't a horrible roster. I don't think it's a great roster. I'm not as high on it as I was say two years ago, but it's not a bad roster either still. Yeah. It's just kind of fine ish. Like it, Definitely, you can talk yourself it into it being better than it actually is, I think. But, yeah, like, if, if Bob comes back, things look a lot, a lot different. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, like, they've done some weird things. You know, they sold off some guys last year, and it, it didn't really make sense. Like, who'd they send to Carolina, their second-line uh, second center? Trocek. Um, you know, like, I, I didn't really get selling Trocek. They let Dadanov walk. They let Hoffman walk. So, um, you know, I thought they'd bring back one of them, but losing both of them, I think, is going to hurt a lot um, up front. And and that's really why I think I bumped them down, too. Uh, you know, they brought in Patrick Hornquist. I like that trade. They got out of a bad contract to bring in a, a decent player. Um, they brought in uh, Nolachari, you know, Anthony is still here, sorry. Uh, Vinny Hinestroza, uh, Carter Verhage, and uh, Anthony Duclair. I thought those were three pretty savvy pickups considering the three of them combined cost 3.7 million. Um, but it's not like they're game breakers, you know, they're losing a lot more talent up front. They're saving money. Yes, but they're not spending that money on anything. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. That's what worries me. Why I have them here. Cause like they, they did get cheaper, which by all accounts was the management's like main goal as a result of what ownership told them to do, but it, you have to get worse generally to do that. And they did. Like they weren't a great team last year and they lost three big pieces and replaced them with good options, but not, not as good. Yeah. I mean like the management team, I thought did what they could considering they had to slash budget, but uh, you know, I've I've liked what Bill Zito's done generally speaking, but yeah, I mean, if they thought they might use their projected 6.6 in cap space to do something still, I'd be more optimistic, but it's very clear that, you know, they didn't want to do anything with that. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, this team still has talent on it. Like I, I really, they're obviously clearly a step above, even if Bobrovsky is absolute, uh, dog water again this year. Uh, 
it's there's still an easy tier above Chicago and Detroit for me because you know guys like Barkov, Huberto, they're going to carry that team up front no matter what, even if it is just those two now. And then on the back end, I mean, Ekblad is turning in, you know, Ekblad's career arc has been something wild. He was amazing to start, got overrated, and then probably turned into an, now is an underrated player. You know, he was underrated for a year or two, then got super overrated for a year or two, and probably got so overrated, I would argue he's probably underrated now, you know? So, I don't know what to make of him, but you know he's a pretty solid defenseman. They brought in Radko Gudis. They have uh, older Anton Strahlman, Keith Yandel, uh, Mackenzie Wieger, uh, Marcus Nudavara. It's not an amazing blue line, but it's very average. And you know, so it, I'd say it's like the fourteenth best blue line in the league, probably. Yeah, it's like, all right. It's like somewhere around there. To me, Ekblad is like like Ekblad is good. So. Yeah, they have like they have a number one defense, but it's a good enough blue line, good enough to win with if you have great forwards, which they don't. Yeah, exactly. And, and their big thing again is they failed to really develop a lot of prospects lately. You know, um, uh, it'll be interesting to see if Alex Hepaniemi gets any any uh, uh, time this year. Or Owen Tippett; those are two guys who are supposed to be core pieces of their forward core and have really slipped through the cracks. It feels like the past couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys get playing time and if they can be a, a difference maker, Hendrick Borgstrom's another one who's not even signed right now. Um, you know, and, uh, and then in net, obviously it, it's funny. It feels like, you know, right now they're going with Chris Dreiger. He looked amazing when he was playing last year. I wouldn't expect that again this year, but, um, and then we just wrapped up the world juniors and, they have Spencer Knight, who, you know, I'm not going to say he stole the gold medal game, but he played his ass off in the gold medal game. And uh, on the other side, they had Devin Levi, who was surprised and is looking really, really good right now. So it's funny that, you know, you look for the future for Florida. And it's like goaltending doesn't seem to be an issue until you realize maybe the worst of the bunch is being paid $60 million over the next six years. Yeah, that's so aggressive. Although I will say for this year, if they are good, it's going to be on the Broski's back. Yeah, if they're making the playoffs, it needs to be because Bobrovsky is at least a top ten goalie. Mm-hmm. Like, like he needs to be uh, like a just even you know relatively above average for a, a starter. He needs to be at least that as a baseline for them to be the playoffs. I, I don't think this is a particularly strong division in the middle, so I don't think he need like they don't need all star all star Sergei Bobrovsky to make it. But uh, if they want to do anything they're going to need peak Sergei Borowski from two two or three years ago that's for sure yeah like the roster is mediocre enough they need a good goalie to be a scary team to play against and I'm really skeptical that Chris Dreiger is going to be that guy so it basically has to be Bob exactly and I'm getting curious to see what his year looks like because if he is even you know the Carey Price bounce back quote-unquote bounce back year of like three goals saved above average I think it's safe to say we should not expect peak Bob to be back at any time, you know, kind of like the point where I'm, I'm past expecting Carey price to steal multiple games in a year. You know, he obviously any goalie has the capability to steal a game here or there. And, and maybe someone like price has the uh, capability more often, but you know, Sergei Borowski, if he struggles this year, even to the point where he is slightly above average, but he's like the 23rd best starter in the league. I think it's pretty safe to say after three to four years of seeing it, we're not going to see Pete Bob back again. Yeah, exactly. It's just back to hoping he can be like above average instead of hoping he can be as good as he once was. Exactly. So um, the other team I had kind of right with them. And, you know, I mentioned, I I think I'm going to keep Florida there. You know, I really 
didn't I, I didn't account for how much high end talent they lost this year. I know Hoffman has flaws in his game and Dadanov has questions as well, but losing both of those goal scorers and you know not really replay or replacing them with much cheaper players, I think is going to hurt. So yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, then in uh, fifth in this division, just missing the playoffs, I have Columbus. Columbus is a team that like I, I want to count out because I don't I don't love their roster. It's not bad. I just, I don't love it, but at the same time, they seem every year to just kind of grind right in there, you know, and it's, um, they, they have an okay roster, but they, you know, they lack maybe a couple high end talent pieces. And the biggest problem is one of their, one of their most high end talented players is seemingly asking for a trade out. And it feels like if something's going to happen, it's going to happen quick. And this is with Pierre-Luc Dubois, who this week actually just signed a two-year extension for $5 million, but it still sounds like he wants a trade out of there. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's happy there. I, I don't know. Have they said why? I've been a little confused by this. Uh, the last I had heard, it was uh, not really. It was maybe a mix of like Tortorella and um, just, you know, the team. But he said even more it was just that he wanted to play on a bigger stage. So pretty much I think he wants to go to a bigger market. Okay, and that's that's fair enough, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, I, and like, I, I don't know, like, uh, I feel bad because, you know, Columbus is a quote unquote small hockey market town, but, you know, they have a pretty passionate fan base. Uh, I was laughing. Uh, people were talking about how great it is. It's worldwide known that it's great to live in Cleveland and Columbus and anywhere in Ohio. And I was like, I don't know. I've never heard that. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if that's necessarily the reputation I've gotten from Ohio. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's a great spot, but early, you know, like a, it seems fun to go watch a football game or a baseball game or yeah, a hockey game there too, you know, and, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus. Um, but uh, yeah, I was laughing on Twitter when I saw someone saying, who wouldn't want to live in Columbus? It's like, well, if you have the option to even live in Florida, live in New York, Toronto, and you run a, yeah, you, you want to be under the spotlight all the time. Like maybe those would be a little bit better options. I don't know. But um, yeah, so if he wants out, this team is in big trouble, big, big trouble, because he is he is the centerpiece of this team, especially up front. Yeah, when you're already a mediocre team and your best player wants out, that's really worrisome. Yeah, and I mean, so trade rumors have been flying all over the spot uh, place, and uh, I'm sure they'll continue, so we can talk about them more maybe next week. But, um, you know, Ottawa has been linked as just a logical spot for, I don't think it's necessarily a bigger market. It's a Canadian market, so it's probably a little bigger, but um, just a logical spot in terms of they need a number one center and they have a lot of picks and prospects to get a certain deal done if they needed it. So that would definitely be an interesting place as well. Um, Which is not that common. Yeah. Especially, especially right now. Right. So um, I kind of hedged a little bit. I could see this team making a playoff push in the, especially in this division, but if they treat Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think you could kiss that goodbye. Oh, absolutely. Unless they get the sun and the moon for him somehow, but that's not going to happen. Like, yeah, yeah. you you wouldn't think, right. Yeah, like we have them fifth in a division where four teams make the playoffs. So obviously you don't want to like completely write them off or whatever, but I think they're distinctly worse than four teams in the division. Yes, especially with no Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, you know, and the, the rest Maybe. of this roster, it, it's okay. Like they have some, it's just, it's very mediocre is I think the way I would put it. It is aggressively mediocre. Like it, they have pieces I like, but not that I love, you know? Yeah, like, and I think Oliver Bjorkstrand's a fantastic hockey player. They just extended him and everything, but like, you don't really want him to be like 
the second selling point of your entire team. I mean, obviously it is Wierenski and Jones, but like, I think Bjorkstrand's better than those two. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're probably hot lower on those two than the general public would be. And, and that probably plays into our uh, factor a little bit, you know, or maybe we're just higher on Bjorkstrand who I mean, let's get into that contract really quick. I think that's an absolute steal for the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think, you know, good for Bjorkstrand. He's getting uh 30, just, just shy of $30 million over the next five years. You know, that's a good payday, but for 5.4, he's a legitimate, you know, number one winger, in my opinion, yeah, top line winger. Um, I think that's a great deal for, for Columbus. Oh, it's a huge deal for Columbus. The only way, like he's worth more money than that. The problem is his point totals don't exactly pop off the page. So it would be tough for him to get that on the market. So he gets exactly. And Columbus gets a great player cheap. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. You look at this four core and, and you got uh, Bjorkstrand, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Max Domi, uh, Gustav Nyquist, uh, Cam Atkinson, Brent, and then Nick Foligno, Brandon Dubinsky. They brought in Miku Koivu. Uh, and then you have, you know, Nathan Gerby, Eric Robinson, Mikhail Grigorenko at the bottom. You know, it's not a horrible forward core. It's just um, it lacks maybe one one big piece up front maybe yet. Like, and, and they have, you know, they have a couple guys in the minors that they're probably going to help, help, help with that. You know, Liam Foodie and uh, Alexander Texier are, and Emil ben, Bemstrom as well. There's three guys right there that could step up. And if any of them make any kind of a difference, you know, maybe this forward core looks a lot different. Yeah, if one of them can step in and be legit, but they still lack that Artemi Panarin level player. Very For sure. Yeah, yeah. They, they definitely lack the very high end talent. And, you know, I think that's what a lot of people think Seth Jones is. And um, I had Dom Lashishan on my, my Sens podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he was posing an interesting question to scouts and, and just people around the NHL of, would you rather Seth Jones or Dougie Hamilton? And it was unsurprisingly for the NHL unanimously in Seth Jones favor. And then he asked online and it was 50, 50. And he said, that was uh, even telling just because a lot of my followers are statistical based right so like a lot of them love Dougie Hamilton and don't necessarily like Seth Jones and so it is a very and we've talked about it too it's a very curious case with Seth Jones because like he is regarded as probably by a lot of people a top five top defenseman top 10 defenseman in the league and by the numbers he's like a replacement level defenseman in terms of like things like RAPM anyways yeah like his pure shot impacts are they leave a lot to be desired, actually. Honestly, yeah, he's, like a, a ton. He has like you know? penalty differential and stuff, so like war would never show him as a as a net negative. But he's not exactly. He's not even a good play driver. Like he's just no, he's poor. Like he is like he's at average at best and slightly below average at worst. But and I mean even like goals above replacement. Last year he ranked four point five goals above replacement. Um, I can pull up where that is in all defensemen, but I'm going to assume it's not that high, you know? So like, it's not like he, I don't think he's a negative player, but um, there's a big gap between, you know, 4.5 ranks him as the 85th best defenseman. Some names right there, Nate Schmidt, Dylan DeMello, Ethan Bear, Nick Holden, Victor Mede, Will Butcher, um, which is just, you know, Radko Gudis and Devontae's are a little bit higher. Uh, Mark, Alex Martinez is a little bit lower. Thomas Shabbat is actually right there with them. So not always names that you would associate with uh, Seth Jones, right? And that's where the huge difference is. Yeah, exactly. And because when, like, if you, uh, I saw other tweets about this, and then Morensky's the exact same way. It's the problem. Like, it's not even just Jones. 
it's both of their marquee guys just are a little worse than or a lot worse than people expect and they don't even have that much to begin with yeah and i mean yeah it's the same thing with goals above replacement on the past two years total jones has said 7.7 Wierenski 11.5 um 7.7 over the past two years that ranks him um 93rd in the league in terms of defensemen so that would be like a number three defenseman which people would laugh you out of the building most places if you suggested that uh, Wierenski was a number two at 66 overall or like a, a bad number two, a good number three. And Seth Jones was an average number three defenseman at, uh, you know, a, a below average number three defenseman, I guess, at, you know, for the past two years. Yeah, exactly. And the worst part is like, even if we're wrong on the bottom end of the error bar, so he's actually above what we have them at like they're far enough down the list that even if you revise that number up a decent amount they're still not exactly these superstar defensemen that you can expect to carry you to a playoff spot you wouldn't think so no and like i I don't know i have a hard time thinking that they are top 10 top 20 defensemen you know like i'm sure it is somewhere in the middle like because it's weird when when you i don't know like when when you watch him he does look like a good defenseman most of the time but even sometimes there it was like like I always go back to the Toronto series and I try to avoid just using that because it's a five game sample. Right. But everyone was like, man, he shut Toronto down in that series. I was like, are we just forgetting the last four games? Like he looked great for two periods in the first game. And then the back four, he got absolutely destroyed by Toronto's top six. Yeah. You could see him getting filled in. He was just getting saves. It reminded me of um, the Mark Mathot stuff in Ottawa back in the day where he had like a 930 on ice save percentage and people were like, ah, yes, this is defense. Yeah, exactly. And it's like people still in Ottawa want that type of player to play with like Thomas Shabbat. It's why they always rejoice when they get like a good Branson type. It's like, okay, like, again, I, I hate to say it. It's like, yeah, but thought again, maybe he wasn't quite as bad as the numbers show, but he definitely was not as good as what people seem to remember him as he was not a first pair defenseman ever in his career in Ottawa. And I don't know, like it's it just, it's something it's, in the middle here somewhere, but uh, it's straight. And same with like in that Tampa Bay series, like when they played that four or five, how many overtimes was it? It was six or seven, maybe. Was it? Was it? It was ridiculous. It was was. seven. I think it was something like three full games pretty much they played, but everyone was praising Seth Jones. And it was like, well, Victor Hedman's playing the most on that. the same amount on the other side, but he's not getting absolutely caved in while he's doing it, you know? Yeah, that was one of the games where it was the first time in a while I was like, I don't know if I'm watching the same thing as other people because a whole bunch of people went nuts about Seth Jones in that game. It was like, Victor Hedman looked like far and away the best player on the ice that game. Yeah, agreed. And it's just like, and it doesn't mean that Jones game had to be bad, but, and I get part of it too, is that that Columbus team was very outmatched in terms of talent. So there's only so much Seth Jones can do, but I don't know. Like you just, uh, I, I feel like it's kind of the Drew Doughty argument too, where it's like uh, you can argue if he had a better team, he might have better results. But also if you're relying on that good of teammates to have that good of results, maybe you're not the player people think you are, you know? Yeah, exactly. And his D partner is still Zach Wierenski too. Like people think he's one of the best players at his position, but if you look at the true best players at their position, like Sidney Crosby or whatever, they turn Connor Sheary's into somebody's. Or Victor Hedman, who played with Dan Girardi and um, uh, Bogosian and, you know, you yeah. name it. Kevin Carl- Shattenkirk's career turned right back around, you know, like. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, you know, the it, it'll be an age-old argument, but I think it's somewhere in the middle. He's probably a low-end number one, high-end number two guy, I would think, right now, just for me personally anyways. But, um, yeah, just for the roster this year, I feel like we have less faith in it. And then quickly, the goalies, again, they're going to be the big part if they can make playoffs or not. I, I really like the strategy of just keeping with two pretty good goalies. You know, Elvis seemed to have – taken over late last year, but then Corpus Allo was their guy for the bubble. So um, I, I like the fact that they seemingly have two pretty good goalies. And I think that should lead to them having at least average goaltending again this year. Yeah, exactly. It's, we talked about it with uh, the football analogy. Like as long as you have two good guys, odds are one of them will be playing well enough that you should be able to get league average goaltending at worst. Yeah, exactly. So um yeah, I think this team, especially if they don't trade purely to Boss, should be right in the mix for a playoff spot. I, I have them slightly out, but it wouldn't shock me a little bit if they, you know, they did sneak in and got in that four seed or whatever. And, you know, we saw Tampa Bay Columbus for a third year in a row. Um, but uh, if they do trade purely to Boss, I don't know. I, I just have a, a tough time seeing this team being having enough high end talent to, to do a ton unless they get, you know, someone really good right away back. Yeah, I completely agree. They'll just be bubble-ish team probably yeah and i mean you know the the rumors are always connected to what it, it, i want to just pose this one to you i know we're going to go a little long here but um uh, patrick line still wants out of winnipeg if you traded patrick line for um uh pierre luke dubois which team in your opinion should have to give more or would you do it one for one i think the jets have to add something in there i would agree i think um feeling might and very 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 maybe might be higher but the floor on Pierre-Luc Dubois is like infinitely higher than Patrick Laine yeah I mean I just think he's been a better player over the past two years you know and it's it's always the argument of well Laine might be able to rattle off 51 of these years with ease and and that's definitely the risk you're taking if you're Winnipeg but at the same time like if line is not rattling off 50 and he doesn't seem to, you know, he never finds that mark. Um, and he, even if he does find that mark, you know, like Pierre-Luc Dubois is playing a more important position and is just so much more dominant at driving the play. Exactly. And um, I know they have stats need, but that's not exactly a long-term fix for Winnipeg. So it's such a huge position of need for Winnipeg that they're clearly at the disadvantage in the negotiation. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah. Um, I, I feel like, it, yeah, it's probably one of those things where, and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois got two years at $5 million too, so that, that I think should come into play as well, whereas Line I think, is one more year at 7.5, but then is going to need a new contract, and what on earth do you pay him? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Those rumors are just kind of floating out there. I want to get your take on on who would have to add more because, you know, there was the, they were the number two and three picks in that, in that draft a couple of years ago in the 2016 draft, so. Yeah, it's kind of funny that it's, like an actual question and the fact that a lot of people are leaning Dubois, but at the end of the day, he has been better. He's cheaper and plays a more important position. So I'd say it's Winnipeg that would have to give up some more in that deal. Yeah, I would agree. Um, okay. Let's move on to the next team. Uh, two teams that we, you know, technically have in the playoffs, but they're still in the hunt. We could see the missing, could see them making. Uh, uh, so the first team I have of this list, you know, the, the worst team quote unquote of the two uh, Nashville predators. I have them at fourth in the division. Yeah, I have Nashville four too. They're they're better than the rest, but they're not exactly a slam dunk like elite team either. Exactly. Um, they just signed Luke Coonan today to a two year two point three million deal. 
Uh, in my opinion, Luke Kunin actually actively makes your team worse while he's on the ice. So I don't think that is necessarily a good deal. Um, he's 23. Maybe he could hope he improves a little bit, but he could improve a lot and still be a replacement level player right now. Yeah, that's the worst part when he's um, when he's that far down the list that like it, it would take a big improvement for him to be even like a third liner. Yeah, exactly. Like he is very below average of a player right now. Um, their offseason, uh, they brought back Mikel Granlin on a one-year deal. That seems pretty smart. Um, you know, I, I'm just down on this team generally more than I was. You know, they got rid of Kevin Fiala two years ago. I, I still think that was a mistake. He looked like he was finally breaking out in Minnesota last year. Um, you know, they bought out Kyle Turris. It just wasn't working there. But, uh, you know, now so now you have – Johan, Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, Mikel Granlin, and then Hala they brought in. You know, he'll probably play top six. And then Colton Sissons, Nick Cousins, Brad Richardson, I guess, is your third line. It's not great. It's not horrible. Like, it, you need, but they need some bounce back years from guys like Victor Arvidsson and even Philip Forsberg. Yeah, exactly. They, they need a lot to go right to look scary. Because this team's fall from grace has been pretty just consistent actually like that seems like they've just been downgraded a tier sort of every year since they made the cup final yep every year they seem to try and go and find that centerman and just the more money they spent on it, the uglier got and the more they had to do other stuff around their roster and i don't know their x factor maybe up front would be someone like eli tolvanen who was the best prospect in hockey for about a month because he was tearing up the khl and then has been literally forgotten since then you know so if he can maybe find his game i know people have been low on him but you know, last year he's put up 36 points in 63 AHL games. This year in the Oakland of the KHL, he's got 13 points in 25 games. So, you know, if, if he can come back and even supply a middle six role, that would be huge for them because, I mean, their defense is still, you know, studded, right? So, yeah, and they still, when you have three number one defensemen, it's still just an absolute embarrassment of riches back there. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the, the back end is not something they need to worry about right now. Um, um, you know, un, unfortunately Dante Fabro has not developed at all. Like expected. He has been brutal, especially in the offensive end. He, he is just a black hole offensively. Yeah. And that's kind of surprising because they have such an insane track record with defensemen and he was so highly touted. It's kind of weird to see, see how poorly he's been at the NHL level. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, no, they brought in Mark Borwecki who, it's a fine six slash seven, but they already have Jared Tenorti, who feels like he kind of plays that exact same role. So, um, yeah, I don't know. The top three on their defense core is going to be enough to drag that along. But this definitely even isn't the um, the defense core depth that we thought they had, you know, two years ago or whatever, when they, you know, they had a Subban. And then they also had like uh, even a uh, Dan Hamhuis, who was still relatively decent, you know. Yeah, it's not really deep anymore. It's just the fact that they can play a number one defenseman on. They can have a pairing of number one defenseman and then another number one defenseman on the next pairing so they can have number one D-men out there basically at all times. Yeah, exactly. And then in that, again, they need, they need a bounce-back season from Pekka Rene and Yusei Soros, in my opinion, if they want to be competitive this year. Uh, Soros was one of the most disappointing things I've seen in a long time last year. I really thought last year was going to be, and I think they did too, was going to be the year he finally took that step of like, we've shown that he's not bad, but he hasn't been able to take the the net from Pekka Rene. And this is the year he was going to do it. And he ended up not having a horrible year, but it definitely, he definitely wasn't great. That's for sure. 
Yeah, he was just all right. Yeah, Which is so, but not exactly what was expected of him. Yeah, and Pecorini was actively bad. They, if he's going to play that bad, he cannot play much this year. You know, it's got to be Saros Net, even if he's the what like the twentieth best starter in the league. Yeah, and you got to be pretty prepared to roll with Saros when Rene has that bad of a year at thirty-eight. Like it, it doesn't look like there's there's a lot. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's like they have a couple years probably before. Uh, um, who they draft this year gets into the lineup. Uh, Askarov. Askarov. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a couple years before he's NHL ready. If he, you know, and like, I don't know. I, I hate trying to make, I hate uh, making um, observations off just the world junior tournament, but I watched him sometimes during this tournament and said, how is he the best goalie prospect we've seen in years? But I, I think people love his just raw athleticism and just hope that they can teach him positioning, but he is going to need a lot of, teaching and positioning, you know, um, because just from what I saw, he just flops around like a fish out there and you can't argue with his KHL numbers. They have been elite anywhere he goes. So, um, you know, maybe it will work, but you know, th- for this year right now, they need UC Saros to step up and be a number one goaltender. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I'm cheering for him. I really like UC Saros. I hope this works out. Yeah. I mean, I've wanted to see him get a shot for, you know, a number of years and I was disappointed that I shouldn't say he was horrible last year. He was the 20. 20- first best goalie in terms of goal saved above average. Um, you know, and I, I'm using a 500 minutes played. So uh, it's not like that is a massive sample size. It's about 13 games or sort of 12 games, I guess, technically. Um, but, you know, out of uh, four, 50 goalies that qualify for it, he ranked 20, 20th in goal saved above average. And uh around there i think and 22nd and goal saved above expected too so it's not like he was horrible he just he wasn't you know a top 15 starter yeah exactly like he's there's there's value in a goalie who's below average but solid enough to compete with still but it's not like a great sign either no if this team wants to be dominant or feared you know he's got to be a top 10 goalie this year but if he's just average i think they'll probably finish around here you know third or fourth or maybe even fifth in their division yeah exactly um all right and then let's get to the next team i i i would have had this team maybe a tier higher but it looks like you know they're dealing with a lot of injuries um so i have the dallas stars in third pretty comfortably right now i kind of thought you're gonna have them too but yes i have them in third as well um it's mostly because you know it's tough to say that the the team that just went to the stanley cup final is going to be in third but uh, it sounds like Ben Bishop is going to miss a decent amount of time. Tyler Sagan's going to miss, you know, a bit of time to start the year here. So um, you really got to hope that, you know, guys like Dennis Gurionov and, and Rupe Hintz can keep what they were doing last year and um, take those, you know, they looked great in limited roles. If they can step up into top six and keep most of that production up, I feel better about this team, but uh, you know, in net two, they, they need to rely on Antoine Hudobin to start the year. So I have questions. That's for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. Their roster's just, it wasn't even that great for a team that uh, made the Stanley Cup or conference final either. Yeah, cup final. I mean, they, they won game six of the cup final. So, um, yeah, but they did make the cup finals and they're a decent enough, but they're not exact. They don't look like this slam dunk cup contender again either to me. 
No, I, I was shocked they made it that far. I mean, they played good hockey. They played a couple months of really good hockey. And, you know, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn looked better at least. But, uh, you know, Joe Pavelski came playoff Joe or whatever. But I, I don't know. Like, just this – for a regular season, it definitely feels like a team that I probably wouldn't want to face come playoff time. But in the regular season, I just don't think they're – they're going to rattle off a ton of wins. Like they, they didn't do the same. Like they were very far and away the third best team in their own division last year. You know, St. Louis and uh, Colorado were both like 10 points ahead of them at the, uh, the stoppage of the year. So. Yeah, exactly. And that always gets lost because of what happened with the whole playoff thing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, like they have great pieces too. Miro Heiskanen is amazing. John Klingberg's amazing. Um you know, and, and then up front, again, it's, it's going to rely on guys like I think Rupe Hints doing what he did in the bubble and also just, you know, and what he looked like last year. And if he gets more of a shot to do it, if he can keep that up, that, that'll that be huge for them for sure. Yeah, and it'd be cool if he was. I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly how to um, forecast him, to be honest. Yeah, I don't either. Um, same with, you know, Dennis Gurionov is another guy who killed uh, sheltered minutes last year, I think. And, um, but like, I don't like, we've seen so many times, you can't just pencil them into being top line players, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It's not like a super guarantee. And if you look at their adjusted uh, numbers over the regular season, it doesn't exactly pop off the page either. No, they're not like huge play drivers or anything like that either. So I don't know. And then you got guys like Alex Radulov, Jamie Ben. you know, then you really, I think if this team wants to be another, a cup contender again this year, you know, you really have to hope that there's not much regression from Ben Sagan and Radulov this year. Yeah. You really have to pray that. And as they're getting older, it's smart to just pencil them in for regression, especially with well, yeah, and, th- and that we've seen them regress over the past couple of years. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I-, I think this team will be all right. You know, they're they're not bad. They seem to play a pretty structured form. So um, I-, I definitely think they'll make the playoffs. I just – I don't know. I-, I don't think they'll be top two. I, I really like the top two rosters in this division, um, one more more than the other. But uh, I-, I think they'll be I- – if I had to guess, I think they'll be third, and uh, they should give some trouble to the team that finishes second when it comes in the playoff time. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. And one other thing is they should have the best goaltending in the division. Or they yes. would be like the best bet too anyways. Obviously, goaltending's random enough. Nobody should have the best goaltending in the division, but Yeah, I mean, I would say them or Tampa probably. Like I'm not stupid high on Vasilevsky, but I don't know. Like as long as Ben Bishop comes back relatively healthy cuz him starting hurt is a big loss. Yeah, I just like the dual good goal or two goalies who were great last year when your backup is uh, McElhaney when like one fifth of the season is going to be back-to-backs. Yeah, that's fair. That's definitely fair. Um, all right, let's move on to the top two then. Uh, so did you have Dallas in the top tier or did you have them in the playoff or did you have Carolina tier down? I had Dallas and Carolina kind of in their own tier. Okay. Yeah. So I had Carolina with Tampa. Um, I don't think they'll really contend for the division, but I want to believe that this is uh, yet another year where they take just another step forward and look very good. Um, the goaltending is the biggest issue, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I said with Kucherov hurt, it's definitely possible that they contended for the division. Yeah, I, don't think- I think it's closer, right? Like, it, it's definitely it's not Tampa just absolutely running away, but I still think Tampa's the better roster overall. Oh, by far. 
but I think they're more like they're obviously way more likely to win the division than to be the team that makes it out of the division of the playoffs because Tampa will have Kucherov by then. Yes, that, that's very fair. And and I don't know, like I, this team has struggled at times in the regular season. And some of that I think is goaltending. You know, they're going with Reimer Mrazek again. And uh, it's not the worst tandem in the league. You know, like I think it's a better tandem than people give it credit for. But at the same time, it's like you always want one goalie who you feel can steal a couple games. And I just don't really see either of those goalies being that kind of guy, right? So, yeah, like they're both fine, but. Yeah, they don't, they don't have a franchise. They don't have a Vasilevsky or a Ben Bishop or anything like that. Exactly. Um, you well, know, don't the even, their roster looks really good, but. Yeah, they're just, they're strong. They have stars with Aho and Dougie Hamilton, and they're deep as all hell. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like the Brady Shea deal. I still don't really understand that, but, you know, a, a decor of Dougie Hamilton, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, uh you know, maybe Jake Gardner bounces back. He was pretty bad last year, but hopefully he bounces back a little bit. He was unlucky too. I don't think he was just, he was the worst player we've ever seen. It was luck had something to do with it as well. Um, in his back and whatnot. I, I would expect at least somewhat of a bounce back there. Yeah. And then, so, you know, if he bounces back, he's your number four, Brady Shea and Hayden Flurry and Joachim Ryan as your five, six, seven. Again, a really good blue line still up front. I like it, you know, like Sebastian Ajo's amazing. He's turned into a star. Savechnikov is really, I think, right on the cusp of just turning into that superstar that almost everyone knows. Like he's starting to get a lot of love around the league and deservedly so. Um, it would be cool to see Svechnikov be the best player in this division. Yes, it absolutely just light it up, you know, like. Yeah, and it's actually possible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, you know, he's going to have a couple Tampa guys to contend with and everything. And, you know, even Sebastian Ajo on his own team. But, um, uh, you know, it's not like Dallas, Nashville, Columbus, Flor- uh, Florida has a couple. But Dallas, Nashville, Columbus, Chicago, Detroit aren't exactly – I mean, I, people say Patrick Kane. But it's not like those five teams really have guys who you're going to pencil in as a top forward in the division. So Yeah, exactly. I, I expect Svechnikov to be better than Kane. I don't yes. expect necessarily to be – better than like Aho and point. Yeah. I also don't expect him to get the credit of being better than Kane either, but that's just a, a narrative standpoint more than anything else. But yeah, that's true. Although his point totals could kind of go nuts this year. They were trending up already last year where I could see high draft pick point totals and everything. I could see Aho getting some or Sveshnikov getting some love. Yeah. But when Patrick Kane's still throwing up like 80 points or 70 points in a 56 game season. He's going to, doesn't matter what he does in the zone end. He's going to get that love anyways. Yeah, you're right. But That's still, um, but you know, just the rest of their, like Nino Niederreiter, that was a great trade. He's looked really good in the Carolina uniform. Their top line of Niederreiter, Aho, Teravine, and it's pretty solid. Uh, second line of Trocek now, Svechnikov and, either Martin Nikash or, you know, Jesper Fast. Uh, you know, that's not a bad line either. Um, and then you have, a, you know, the depth of Warren Fogel, Jordan Stahl, one of Nikash or Fast, Rock McGinn, Morgan, Ge- Morgan Geeky, and Ryan Dezingle. Uh, Dezingle took a big step back last year. He's looked bad, but, um, you know, it, it's a pretty good team overall. Um, not a, a super deep forward group or anything like that, but, uh, you know, they, they have some guys coming eventually. Ryan Suzuki, Seth Jarvis, uh, you know, maybe Dominic Bach can kind of come into the bottom of the lineup at some point, but um, you know, it, it's a pretty good team, and I, I really like the roster just as a whole. Yeah, exactly. It goes together very well with that super deep defense core that can move the puck so so well. They've got enough stars up front to make it work. They're they're a good team. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I think they are a lock for the playoffs this year. I mean, even if they struggle a little bit, I think they're going to become third or fourth. I, I really can't see this team missing the playoffs. No, I would be very shocked if they're worse than like Columbus or Florida. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, especially both of them. Um, and then finally, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Speaking of teams that are almost a lock guarantee for the playoffs, they would be in just about any division they played. But um, this one, it really feels like that's the case, right? Um, it's uh, it's going to be different for them, you know. Obviously, with no Nikita Kucherov for the year, but uh, they just have so much talent that I think they're going to be able to definitely just uh, take that impact for the the regular season. It'll be really nice if he can come back for the playoffs because he obviously just makes the team so much deeper, but. You know, Steven Stamkos, Braden Point, Andre Pallad, Yanni Gord. If they keep Tyler Johnson, Tyler Johnson, Anthony Sorelli, Alex Kalorn, uh, and then Coleman, Goudreau, Maroon. And then you've got Mitchell Stevens, Matthew Joseph. So, like, you got 12 really solid forwards still right there. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think they'd be cup favorites without Kucherov, but, like, they're, there's just enough talent here that they're still the overwhelming division favorites without them. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I still think they would probably be, I don't know, four, third, they'd be top five definitely for cup favorites still without Kucherov. I just like with him, I think they're the cup favorite, you know? Yeah, like they'd still be the division favorite in everyone except for the West, even without Kucherov. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. Um, So, exactly. yeah, and then their defense core, uh, they, they lose Shattenkirk this year, who was a huge part of their cup win last year. Uh, Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev, still a pretty good three, you know, to build around. And then we'll see how Shen, Ra- uh, Ruta, and Cernak play. Uh, you know, Cernak's the big one I want to pay attention, uh, I want to see, because, you know, he got a lot of love from a lot of people last year. And um, I didn't think he was necessarily that great. He was okay. Like, he was, it wasn't bad, but I just, I don't know. Like, it feels like a lot of people are trying to hype him up to be this massive just like real good shutdown defenseman and he was good in his own end and not very good in the in the offensive end to the point where it almost kind of not counteracted but i i just thought he was just above a a replacement level player in terms of his results anyways yeah and even if he's like averages or whatever him and sergachev both get hyped up a lot but like i'm still pretty convinced it's just the victor hedman show and without him those guys would look a lot worse yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, like Sergachev's number, he's a pretty good power play quarterback, I will say. Um, but uh, yeah, his five on five numbers aren't amazing either, right? Like just in terms of driving play anyways. Yeah, exactly. Like they're Neither Cernak or Sergachev are bad necessarily, but they're not exactly these studs. Like it's still the forwards who do most of the work along with Victor Hedman. Yeah, for sure. And I could see um, them trying to, you know, Hedman's a great power play quarterback as well. So, but if you wanted to try and give Hedman a little more rest, I could see someone like Sergachev trying to take a little more power play time this year, especially with someone like Shattenkirk out, right? So it'll be interesting yeah, to see. That second unit that Hedman's not going to play on. Exactly. Um, um, and then Annette, yeah, I think you touched on their biggest problem this year, honestly, is that uh, currently they're going into the year with Curtis McElhinney as their backup goalie. And uh, you know, that's kind of been okay when you can play him eight times a year or whatever, but when you need him to play minimum, probably going to be 15 games this year in a 56 game season, uh, that is going to be maybe more of a challenge, you know? Yep. And he's like three years away from that one decent season in Toronto at this point, he was even bad in Tampa Bay last year. So it's, it's a very big point of concern for Tampa Bay. 
or at least as yeah. big as the goal can ever be. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, he, like he's probably, I think you can expect any backup goalie to play probably 25% of the team's games this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they work around that. And, you know, if uh, they can just, you know, and in this division, maybe you just play him against Chicago and Detroit as much as you possibly can. And that's where 25% of the games come from. But yeah. And given how fast the season is going to be, I think the best move is even if it costs you games, you just take the loss on them playing McElhaney to make sure Vasilevsky's ready to go for the playoffs. Yeah, especially for a team like this where it's like, you don't, they probably won't need every point. And even let's say if McElhaney absolutely just craps the bed and costs them to the point where it's like they they lose out on the first place by a point or two, I don't even think that's going to matter all that much. You know, who knows how much home ice is going to matter in the playoffs? Like, I'm sure I, I, I wouldn't be shocked by the time, uh, considering the Panthers already got announced that they're going to be allowed to have 5,000 people in the stands, but I would not be shocked if by the time playoffs roll around, a lot of teams are going to have some fans in the stands, but I don't think it'll be full, full capacity still by June or July. Yeah. They'll probably have something. Cause if uh, rinks are specifically bad for it or whatever, but like looking at the NFL and stuff, like they've, they've had fans all year. So I'd be surprised. Well, just in the, and the fact that you hope by June, you know, a, a decent amount more people will be vaccinated too. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I don't know. This should be, should be a pretty good division to keep an eye on. I think it's the middle will be an interesting thing. I, I think the top is probably, you know, a little bit more obvious. I, I still think Tampa's probably going to comfortably win this division. Um, but I, I hope that a team like Carolina can give them a bit of a challenge because that would be definitely um, um, fun to see. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm really rooting for Carolina here. I think that'd be really cool if they if they manage to steal this one from Tampa. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's our division previews. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed listening. Uh, starting next week again, we we'll almost have hockey back, you know, um, it is a week from now that they're going to be starting playing. Um, so we might record the night before the night after. I really don't know what our recording schedule is going to look like through the year, but, uh, we should have a bunch of storylines to talk about and, and things to discuss. But as always, if you, you want to hear us talk about anything specifically, uh, or you have any questions or anything, let us know on Twitter. You can find me at NHL sends and stuff, chase at CM hockey 66, Find both of our writing at lastwordonhockey.com. I have the Ottawa Senators puck drop preview out today. I also did something on the Colorado Avalanche uh, lines and, you know, their forward lines, what they might look like this year on milehighhockey.com. So you can check that out there. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I think I speak for both of us when I say we're super excited for the season to start, and we will talk to you all next week. Mm